Hello, welcome back to the third series of the Midnight Quill podcast. In our fifth episode, we're talking about writing romance. I'm one of your hosts, Tegan, also known as TC Emrys. I'm a writer, professional ghostwriter, and fiction editor. My debut short story collection, The Weight of Rain, was released last year. Hi, I'm Maddie, or MJ Glenn. Um, I'm the author of fantasy novel On the Edge, which I released in December 2020. Um, I also run Software Self-Publishing, which helps authors uh, self-publish their work and stay in control. Hi, and I'm Claire Dyer. I'm author of uh, three published no- novels and uh, my literary thriller, The Significant Others of Odie May, is out in July. I'm also a poet and I have three collections published with Two Rivers Press, the most recent one of which yield um, chronicles the transition of my son to my daughter. I curate Reading, Reading's Poets Cafe, I teach creative writing and I'm a freelance editor. I'm going to start by talking about characters in romance and I thought we'd kick it off with a quote from Nora Roberts. She says, aren't most romance heroes generally superior to real men? Same goes for heroines and real women. Thinking about that quote, do you think realism is important for creating protagonists in romance or do they exist in more of a fairy tale world? I I don't necessarily agree with that, actually. Mm. I feel that to relate to a character, it's important for the reader to sort of see them as a a real person so a friend of mine says you know nobody's going to care about your character unless if they're in a difficult situation unless unless they've seen them do something ordinary like make a sandwich or phone their mum and then if they're put into a difficult scenario or their emotions are tested or they have to make a difficult decision that becomes much more relatable and I think in my own writing I'm very much aware of that they are stories about ordinary people who are forced to do extraordinary things. Absolutely. I wonder if the quote is more talking about the romance of men and women, you know, sort of um, the gentlemanly men. Is it is it saying that men in novels are more romantic than they are in life? But I also think that characters need to be flawed. You know, you, you need to build um, people who have you know wrinkles in their personalities who make mistakes and who are sort of hold themselves up to the reader and say look I'm sorry I've, I've, I've really messed up here um, but my intentions are good and this is my want I want something and to get it I need to go jump through these various plot-based hoops and bear with me and hopefully we'll have a happy ever after at the end. Yeah I think I'm kind of in two minds about this because I know from writing, like writing to market for my clients, which is something that like obviously the clients are very concerned with because it's about turning a profit rather than it is like creating literary works, if you see what I mean. I know that they are particularly concerned about um, creating escapism and like an idealistic romance. Like I personally think that an idealistic romance doesn't, have to be sort of this unflawed perfect thing you know I think it's far more interesting and relatable like you say to have characters who you know they've got a bit about them they've got some challenges to overcome um but I know that you know some of my clients would say oh but the the sort of rose-tinted glasses view is what some readers want 
I was talking to um, a publisher once and she was talking to me about um, sort of what the publishing industry find very attractive in, in mm. novels. And, and that's the sort of moral dilemma. It's the sort of thing that gets people talking around a dinner table saying, you know, if you were in this situation, what would you do? So if you were faced with this relationship dilemma or your partner found themselves in, in this situation, or you yearned to have a relationship with X, Y, or Z, and you know you were thwarted, what would you do? And it's that sort of connection between reader and book that that, that makes that makes um, you know a bestseller in my, in my view. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say that this quote is is quite heteronormative, and I don't know if Nora Roberts does anything besides um, female male relationships. Um, but it does make me think about like how romance is sometimes skewed towards that like heteronormative view of, of man and woman and like gender roles that are very um, solidified and, and tra traditional, you know, and um, that just makes me a little bit worried. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think the quote could be taken in a bit of a sexist way in terms of it's saying that the... Um, it's saying that the men in books are better or superior to real men, which I think mm. is a bit harsh to real men, to be honest. I think there are some lovely fictional character male, males and women, but there are some much more interesting and amazing men and women in real life. And I just think, I kind of think, well, poor men in real life, you know, are they saying that, you know, we can write them better? We can write better men in books than you, you know. Um, not all men are are bad, you know. So I, I kind of take it like that. I kind of go, oh, I think it's a little bit of a dangerous sexist comment to make that there can be that you can make a fictionalized superior version. We had a listener question once um, from creating a main character um, from a male listener who um, was saying that they were worried that we were sort of only talking about female characters when we were saying that we want realistic flawed people do you remember this comment Maddie and um he was saying like do you want washboard abs and a complex emotional character or do you want like a sort of I don't know average build man but like a bit of an arsehole and we I think we replied and we're kind of like no we want a representation of all types of men just like we want a representation of all types of women and non-binary people you know so um, yeah, I think in romance, with sort of modern feminism, we do have maybe some more flawed female characters than we previously did, whereas men maybe aren't as given as much attention to their characters. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think, you know, going back to your comment about heteronormality, I agree. I think that this comment is, is, is um, skewed in, in that direction. And I'm... Um, quite good friends with the author Julie Cohen who's currently writing much more sort of gender fluid um, mm. novels her latest one um, has you know ha has, a, has a gay relationship in it and between the two main leads and I think it, you know it is utterly convincing and totally right that that those sorts of stories and romances should be making their way into mainstream fiction mm -hmm. Um, and but also if you think about uh, you know this quote and taking it apart and if you think about Darcy in Pride and Prejudice you know he is the antithesis of um, being superior to a real man you know he he is so 
wrong and mistaken and proud and um, doing things wrong for most of the book. And then, you know, he goes away and he, he does something amazing quietly and comes back. But then even so, you know, the, the, the road to their happy ever after is very bumpy because of his flaws and because of Elizabeth Bennet's flaws. And I think, you know, that's throughout, throughout ages, I, I think the important thing is for um, heroes and heroines to be real, as real as possible. What do we think should be the focus when creating side characters for a romance? Well, I think they um, need to be a variety of characters. Um, but what you don't want to sort of, you want to sort of avoid stere stereotypes, sort of have, you know, gay best friend or, you know, troublemaker friend or you know, skittish one it's they, they need to be real people as well and they, and they need to be there to serve the plot mm -hmm. there's no point having characters or subplots if, if they don't link in to, to, to the main trajectory of the novel let's talk about romance tropes i feel like this might <laughs> might take us down a bit of a rabbit hole what are some of your least favorite tropes in romance stories or romance subplots in other fiction genres that man's a hunk, therefore he's good. <laughs> you know, um, and that man's not a hunk, therefore he's evil. Um, yeah, I, I just think um, there is a tendency to make men quite boring people, um, and just that. because they look good doesn't make them interesting people. <laughs> But an, another trope that I find quite um, frustrating is where you've got a heroine and then she's got some friends and they have lots of wine bar scenes or coffee shop scenes where they discuss men and, and romance and relationships and it, it's static, you know, those, those kind of static scenes with mirror images of the heroine who add nothing to the story. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's something I find quite, quite frustrating. I think the trope I find that's frustrating is um, when the woman tries to fix the man. You know, it's a nice story, but it's a bit sort of, oh, so he couldn't fix himself. Um, the woman had no other job to do in life or nothing, no other roles, nothing else to do but to fix a man. Like it's all serving for one person. And also that there's a sort of idea that we fall in love with people that we feel that we can fix. The idea that we could fix a person and the fact that they need to be fixed. I think the the trope the trope in general though is it's sort of a um, it's like a codependent thing. I think that's the issue with it. That um, this idea that uh, you need to be in a relationship to be happy for one, and that you need to be um, improving each other for a relationship to be happy which, I mean, you should grow together and, you know, you should want to do things together and, you know, and, and learn. And, but this idea that, like, you should be improving each other and fixing each other is quite sort of toxic and, and codependent and actually um, can end up with people sort of not being able to function without each other, which actually isn't really a, a healthy thing for a, for a long-term relationship, in my opinion. Yes, I think, but, yeah... <laughs> Readers and publishers in this genre tend to favour the happy ever after, the boy meets girl, boy loses yeah. girl, boy gets girl back, um, and all vice versa, girl and girl, boy and boy, girl oh, and boy. Um, 
it, it's that sort of that that sort of three act structure, and then you get your rug pulling moment uh, where you think you think you're sorted, and then everything goes wrong again, and then you you know you you get to the new the new dinner the new and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, it's uh, it, it would be a brave person, I think, that says at the end of a novel, and then she she lived happily ever after on her own. Another trope that I don't like: the miscommunication. Miscommunication is like such a a crux, you know. Um, if you think sort of Jane Austen, there's lots of moments where they think that the man is engaged and he isn't, and it's like you know that kind of thing. Oh, it's the other brother. <laughs> yeah, and it oh it it drives me a bit crazy. I think that it's just. Oh, I don't know. What do you guys think? You guys like that trope? I think I struggle in certain certain scenarios, not necessarily in romance books, but in in things that have romance in them. There tends to be arguments between relationships because they're not telling each other the truth, yeah. and it's just a sim- just a way of getting of creating conflict. And there would be, I, I just think it's a, it's a little bit tiring when you think, well, why don't you just say the truth? It's not going to destroy anything if you just say the truth. But they don't because it's easier not to and therefore it creates an argument and a plot point and you just think okay it's not like that in real life um you know if you have a healthy relationship you would sit down and actually discuss this yeah um because it's not the most explosive secret the worst thing is not talking to each other um and i think and then it, i find it odd how they seem to resolve it afterwards and everything seems okay and yet they clearly have new really bad communication yeah. um, I think yes I agree but I, I, I also think that um, you know readers don't really want to read about normal people uh, unless they're readers of Sally Rooney of course um, but they <laughs> um, want people who are conflicted who miscommunicate who have secrets from one another who who, who do who get it wrong so that there is a way a path to getting it right in the end what would you both say are some of the common pitfalls for new romance writers? I'm wondering whether it's something, it's sort of losing focus on what the book is actually about. Mm. Again, you know, one thing I was taught early on is to get a post-it note and put the one word that describes what the book is, whether it's um, if is it about aspirational love? Is it about you know vengeance? Is it about guilt? Is it about identity? And to write your character and your plot always back to that that key yeah. core theme, and not get distracted by subplots, secondary characters, and writing too much of yourself into it. They need to avoid, I suppose. I also think they need to avoid just focusing on the concept of love. The book is about love. No, the book can be a, about a lot more and love is involved. Love is the central point and the central thing that happens. And I think a romance novel is most interesting when it's not just about two people falling in love. It's about the complexity around that. Yeah. So I would consider myself a, a new romance writers so I'm sure I'm falling into loads of pitfalls I've only been writing for my um, romance pen name for about a year and haven't self-published anything under it quite yet only thing that I would say I've learned from like being brand new to now is thinking about subgenre because I think and you know I've sort of done this in writing this this episode 
calling romance, you know, one giant thing. Um, there's so many subgenres of romance, and you have to really think like what what you're doing with that. Um, are you writing like a? Do you want it to be cozy? Do you want it to be um, a sort of a romance thriller? Or like, there's lots of avenues you can go down. Um, and I think that if you set out just thinking, I want to write a romance, a love story, and that's like all you've got to bring to the table, you're probably going to run out of ideas quite quickly. The most interesting romances aren't about the concept of love, they're about people and two people coming together, or maybe three people, but they're <laughs> about some people coming together and the complexes of those people. Yeah. And if it's just about the love, yeah, you're going to run out of ideas pretty fast. And people are complicated, people create issues. And and to have a relationship work, you need to work through those issues and work through the conflicts around them and the, the baggage that each person brings to a relationship. And that's what creates the plot and the conflict and the other concepts and the other themes you're looking at, I think. From an author's perspective, what would you say is the best thing about writing romance? We've talked about some of the things we don't like, but what do we actually like about it? Making it go wrong for my characters. Yeah. So that then I can put it right for them. Um, there was, and, and sometimes they take me, I, I love it when my characters take me by surprise. When they, um, they do or say something and I think, why are you doing that? <laughs> and then of course, well, later on in the book, I realised why, why they did it. Yeah. I like a character with a lot, I like writing a character with a lot of emotional baggage or a lot of background history. That, that informs how they respond to every situation. I find that a lot easier to write a character with that much going on because you can hint at it and people can push their buttons by accident and, and they can react in certain ways that might not be very reasonable or might be difficult, you know, might cause issues. Um, and I think that's, that's what I find just interesting in creating a character. So I suppose if you put two characters together, you have that double whammy with me. <laughs> and, I, and I guess that the challenge for, for writers is to release the information at just the right time for both yeah. the reader and for the other characters in the book. Yeah. So it's that constant juggling that we do, you know, the plate spinning thing to get it, you know, the right plate spinning at just the right time um, in the right place so that it keeps the story going, but without, mm. telling, without revealing too much. In episode six of our first series, we talked about the idea that nothing is original. We concluded that originality was less important than authenticity. Do you think, number one, it's possible to write an original love story when so many exist already? And number two, that originality is actually important when writing romance? I think, yes, you can have an original story in the sense that, um, the basic bones of the plot structure will be very similar to many others, but every person is different. If you create characters that are intricate, intricate enough, mm. then it, it will it will make that basic bone structure far more interesting and you'll write it from your experience and your worldview. And I don't think anybody else can have the way that you write it, can write it the way that you write it. Oh, and also, I think that, that, you know, readers crave some sort of certainty and comfort. You know, they, they like 
to know that it will, you know, they will be presented with um, a cast of characters that appear familiar and, and romantic scenarios that appear familiar. The, the basic plots will be not unoriginal because you will have the person meets person, person loses person, person gets person back. Or you would have the they can't live together because they can't live with each other. They can't live without each other. They meet, they leave, they meet. You know, it's all, all the all the sort of the the patterns that the writers have at their fingertips to to put their characters into. The, the, the way you can be original is to give them different backstories and motivations, um, and and get them put them into into situations which are original. Yeah. Let's finish by talking about the way that the genre has changed over time. From Romeo and Juliet to Lady Chatterley's Lover and the Notebook, romance has really morphed and evolved. What changes have you been pleased to see and what changes do you anticipate or hope to see in the future? I suppose the most obvious change is that um, there's less class issues now compared to the Jane Austen era of romance. Mm. We don't, you know, there's not... um, or the, you know, Romeo and Juliet, there's not necessarily so much two houses hating each other or um, class issues where you can't marry lower than you, than you are. Mm. Um, so, of course, that's the biggest change, you know, compared to the oldest literature in the modern literature. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, um, generally more inclusive now. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about sort of how <laughs> romance has sort of hysteri- historically been heteronormative. And now we're getting a lot more diversity and inclusion. Um, Yeah, I think there have been some stories, some romance stories between uh, gay partners that have actually tended towards more violent themes. For example, Brokeback Mountain. Um, It's not the happiest story. And it's it's about two gay men having a really difficult relationship. And it's really nice in the modern era that we can talk about so that was set in, in the 60s, wasn't it? 50s yeah, and 60s. Yeah, so. it's so nice that we can talk about gay couples having actual normal relationships. We don't mm-hmm. have to talk about the issues that used to be there, you know, and it's just, it's really, I find it, find it really refreshing that we can talk about mm-hmm. different relationships and new, new modern ways of thinking about them. Yeah, you're, you're, um, you've touched on a really good point there um, about like violent and unhappy relationships for LGBT characters there's a trope called the bury your gaze trope, which is um, gays as in gay people, um, which is basically that a lot of gay people in in stories, romance or otherwise, end up with a really unhappy ending, like death. The other thing I'd like to see is, is uh, love stories for older protagonists. Mm. Who wants to read about people over 35? <laughs> Well, actually, people over thirty-five. <laughs> exactly, and I'm thinking. I think particularly of the the film um, Letters for Juliet. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Vanessa Redgrave and Amanda. I can't remember never pronounced her surname. The girl with the really amazing eyes. And so you've got the two storylines. You've got her slowly falling in love with the difficult grandson, and then the love story of of the older lady looking for the man that she had lost many many years ago and what I think is so wonderfully done in that film is that they the um, integrity of the relationships they've had since 
the, the, these older people are, are kept intact. You know, that there's nothing that they they regret about yeah. the lives that they led uh, in in having not met each other or stayed with each other all those years ago. And yet they come together at the end, and it and it's beautifully orchestrated and so tenderly done. And I think I want to see more of that. Um, I'd also love to see more relationships with age gaps. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a relationship with an age gap, 13 years, um, but I don't feel like we're in an age gap. You know, I would like to see that. That's very becoming more and more normal now. Um, I think this is something that, um, you know, me and Maddie have talked a lot about is that self-publishing gives you the option to like break these industry tropes. Exactly. I think we've said everything we want to say about writing romance. Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify. We also have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to for as little as a pound a month. Um, we have some really cool merchandise on there and you can also find exclusive extra content. Thank you very much to our guest, Claire Dyer, for coming on. Make sure to go to Amazon and check out her book of poems called Yield and pre-order The Significant Others of Odie May, which is coming out on 28th of July. Um, thank you very much and obviously go and check out our lovely co-host Maddie her book On the Edge you can uh, find it in the description below next time we're talking about writing genre as a whole and what it means to write to market so join us then thank you very much for listening <laughs>